This is MuggleCast, episode 39 for May 15th, 2006. I know it's late, please don't hurt me. <laughs> CYGoDaddy.com is the number one domain registrar worldwide. Now with your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N, when you check out and get your .com domain name for just $6.95 a year. Get your piece of the internet today at GoDaddy.com. Hello everybody, welcome to MuggleCast, the show where we bring you everything Harry Potter from discussions, theories, facts, prophecies, Snape, Horcruxes, J.K. Rowling, and Dumbledore. <laughs> Yay! I'm Ben Chen. <laughs> I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull, and I suck at intros. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. Micah Tannenbaum is standing by in the MuggleCast News Center with the latest Harry Potter news. Joe Rowling's recent response to the criticism she received from the media about her For Girls Only Probably article has been covered by several British newspapers. Although many newspapers criticize her piece, the media are only focusing on the Sunday Mail article. The story has been covered by the London Times, the Daily Mail, Sky News, and more. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, HPANA reported that Nicholas Hooper will be composing the soundtrack for the next Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Warner Brothers confirmed Friday to Film Music Radio that he will indeed be scoring the soundtrack for the fifth film. In 2004, Hooper won the BAFTA for Best Original Score and was nominated several other times for the prestigious awards. To launch their Summer Reading Buzz program, which encourages children to read at least six books over the summer, Scholastic, publisher of the U.S. Harry Potter books, has invited a panel of authors, book professionals, and aspiring writers to their headquarters to discuss the children's book publishing industry. The panel includes the editor of the American Harry Potter series, Arthur Levine, and in a segment called The J.K. Rowling Phenomenon, he discusses just how Joe became so successful. You can watch the video of the interview over on MuggleNet.com. Over the past few weeks, a woman in Gwinnett County, Georgia, has been fighting her child's school district to remove Potter books from the schools within the district. We've learned that her attempts have failed, and the books will indeed remain in libraries. The full article from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution can be viewed over on MuggleNet.com. The Goblet of Fire DVD is placed in the Guinness world records for being the fastest selling DVD ever. The DVD sold 5 million copies on release day alone. A certificate to recognize this special honor was presented to Dan Radcliffe on set of Order of the Phoenix last month. Comments from the Potter actor, including a photo, will be in the 2007 Guinness Book of World Records. And speaking of Dan Radcliffe, him and Emma Watson both received top awards at the 2006 German Bravo Auto Awards. Dan won the male movie star category, and Emma took home top honors in the female movie star category. Warner Brothers once again trying to tackle internet movie piracy by signing a deal with BitTorrent, which will allow consumers to download hundreds of WB productions legally. TV shows will start off at a price of around $1, with full-length movies costing roughly the same as a DVD rental. And Emma Thompson will be back in Order of the Phoenix as Professor Sybil Trelawney. She shot some of her scenes just last week. And the big news, the New York Times reported earlier this week that J.K. Rowling will be in New York City this August for a charity book reading. Joel will be at Radio City Music Hall in the company of authors Stephen King and John Irving. Money raised through tickets will be donated to Doctors Without Borders and the Haven Foundation, which benefits artists who have suffered from illness or accidents. Tickets range from $12.50 to $100, but there are also family packages costing $1,000 apiece that include four orchestra seats and a signed book from each author. Joel will be reading on the nights of August 1st and August 2nd. Tickets are still on sale now are limited to eight per person. And just four days after Lumos, the Leaky Monk crew will be in New York City for this event, hosting a podcast on August 2nd. For more information, listen to the most recent Leaky Monk. And there's also a variety of updates to Joe's site, including a thank you to MuggleNet's Andy for his response to the criticism of Joe's weight-obsessed article. The Harry Potter author said Andy saved her time enough to write a half-chapter of the seventh book. That's all the news for this May 14th, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Happy Mother's Day. Back to the show. All right, thank you, Micah. Uh, let's see. Oh, there, there's so much. This has been such a good Harry Potter week. Oh, it's been beautiful. Let's get to a couple announcements first. <laughs> Actually, we only got one announcement for you anymore. Let's not. Let's just not even call it announcements anymore. Let's just call it <laughs> MuggleCast T-shirt time. Don't forget, <laughs> everyone, buy your MuggleCast T-shirt because National Wear Your MuggleCast Shirt Day is only a few weeks away on June 2nd. Uh, we talked with our shirt provider this week, and he said that the deadline to order your shirts is May 23rd, coincidentally my birthday. <clears throat> Presents can be mailed to the MuggleCast P.O. Box. Attention, <laughs> and, and, and I'll keep them. 
And they the will abs- they remain in my closet until, <laughs> until a year from now. <laughs> the absolute deadline for ordering your shirts is May 26th, but our shirt provider guarantees them by May 20. If you um, order them by May 23rd, they're guaranteed. Uh, our shirt provider is samandnate.com. Sam actually quit his day job recently to his full time t shirt um, extraordinaire. Yeah, man. This guy, dude. So <laughs> please visit samandnate.com. They create some excellent shirts, as you've seen. And um, don't forget that National Wear Your Muggle Cast shirt, the contest. That's coming up pretty soon. But, Andrew, I have a question. I have a question for you. Why is it just National Wear Your Muggle Cast T-shirt day? Why not National Wear Your Muggle Cast T-shirt month? <laughs> Where you, you wear know. the same T-shirt every day for because, a month. Well, uh, that'd be kind of gross. But we want to focus it all in one day. We want We want the... Americans to see everyone wearing their MuggleCast t-shirts. It was like that immigration day. You know, if it was immigration month, then they would have just taken off whenever. Remember like two Fridays ago? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. Or two Mondays ago? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so it's more of a concentrated effort. Right, exactly. deal with National Wear Your MuggleCast Shirt Day is that everyone wears their MuggleCast shirts on June 2nd. Send it a picture of you wearing your shirt somewhere out in public Email it in. We'll randomly select five people who uh, send in their pictures, and they will win an exclusive MuggleCast uh, Live in Las Vegas t-shirt, which is absolutely fantastic, and they will be the first five people to receive them and wear them. They might get it before we do. Yeah. <laughs> we have one listener rebuttal for everyone this week because we got a lot to get to. Uh, this one comes from Kelly, 21 of Tennessee. This is in regards to um, a discussion we were having the other day as um, concerning how everyone knows, like, how many house points each house has. So, Kelly writes, You guys were talking the other day, episode 36, about how ho- house points are posted, and I just saw that I'd let you know that on page 853 of the U.S. edition of Order of the Phoenix, it says, So it's 50 uh, each for Potter, the two Weasleys, Longbottom, and Miss Granger, said Professor McGonagall, and a shower of rubies fell down into the bottom bulb of Gryffindor's hourglass as she spoke, end quote. Now, come to think of it, I, I do remember seeing these in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Moving on, we don't do this very often, but this week we are going to discuss a little news that's happening because it is so big, and we are really excited for some and proud reasons. We, we, we're proud, we're excited, we're thrilled, <laughs> honored. You name it, we are it. <laughs> is that proper grammar? Someone correct me. Um, or is that so more this week. <laughs> Yeah, this week, uh, let's see, it was late Tuesday night, New York Times posted a story saying that J.K. Rowling would be in New York City uh, for the first time in six years. Not New York City the first time in six years, but the United States. This is the first time she's been in the United States uh, uh, since six years ago. And she will be joining Stephen King and John Irving for a benefit reading. And we were immediately, you know, thrilled to hear this because, first of all, I'm just two hours away. Everyone else is a little bit. Oh no, Mike is right, practically right in the city. I'm 1,300 miles away. (laughs) I'm somewhere in between there. So, right next door. (laughs) So, uh, what we're really excited about is we do plan on going to this right after Vegas. The timing is perfect for us because. Uh, the live podcast in Las Vegas, Lumos 2006, is July 29th, I believe. We're coming home the 30th. And then right after that, <laughs> it's straight up to New York City for this. New York City, baby. So what do you guys think? First time she's been here in six years. Six years ago, I was a little taught. Six years ago, I hadn't even been on a computer yet. There's to put it in perspective for you. Now I live on a computer. <laughs> Actually, I heard that Joe's gonna wear her her Muggle Cast T-shirt to the event. <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should change the day to uh, August first. Where we should mail her one. We should mail her one and tell her that she yeah. has to wear it. Oh, let's do that. I'm sure she would. You know, she she has anything better to wear. <laughs> I'm really excited. What, what book do you guys think she's going to read from? I Probably Half Blood Prince. I would think Half Blood Prince. I'm actually yeah. pretty excited to see Stephen King too. Yes, ah, yeah, oh, it's gonna be awesome. What are some books that he's written? Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Carrie, The Shining. There's a lot of them. So, of course, we will be updating everyone on that over the, the next uh, couple of weeks. Gosh, it's only 
It's under three months away. Yay! All right, now it's time for this week's general discussion. You might remember that last week we started mixing it up a bit. Two weeks a month, we will be doing general miscellaneous discussions about whatever the heck we want. Then the other two weeks, we will be doing character discussions. So this week, we will begin a new uh, series that we'll be doing every, I guess, like month or so. What we need to know in Harry Potter 7. Oh, jeez, I love this second segment. Because... Come on, man. It's all the rage now. Book 7. Everyone wants to know what's going to be happening. So we have a few questions that we're going to answer each week. Who wants to lead this? I will. Godric's Hollow. What what information do you think needs to be gathered from there? And what is there to learn about it? And what significance is it going to play to the plot of Harry Potter 7? What's there? Is it a house? I mean... It... Well, that's what it might be now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what would make Harry think that they'd still be there. That who would still be there? That Lily and James. You said, Eric, you've had a problem with, with Godric's Hollow. Yeah, I'm like, a, I have Don't about you? 150 problems with Godric's Hollow. Name your biggest problem. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say 150. You know yeah. you want to. Uh, biggest problem, Harry shouldn't know as much as he seems to know about it. What does he seem to know about it, though, apart from the fact that he and his parents lived there? To me, it didn't seem like I can recall any indication or any indication any reason harry would have the indication that a his parents would still be there uh buried there and not necessarily under the house just just still residing there you know in whatever form um it in a way it makes sense if they lived there they'd be buried there but that again you know isn't something i think harry harry just immediately said to ron at the end of book six you know i'm going to godric solo and i'm gonna find out everything about my parents and it's somehow gonna lead me to horcruxes and that's where i'm gonna start my search and ron's like okay yep did he do that go ahead but we have we have are you sure this out of a fan fiction story did he actually say he was gonna go there yeah he did yeah but he didn't say it he didn't say that he was going to find out about horcruxes there he just said that that was where it all started so it was probably the best place for him to start He's returning to his roots. But that isn't where it all started, though. I mean, it kind of is, like, as far as the downfall of Voldemort. That's where it all started for Harry, though. But what's he going to find after so many years, even if he can find the house? And there's going to be, like... I mean, if there's muggles in the area, I just don't know that he's going to, like, be able to discover too many things. I don't think it's likely that somebody would leave him, uh, uh, you know, a trail of clues, like, or even James, like, leaving him notes throughout the destroyed house, you know, to find something. Eric, do you think that he's necessarily going there to discover things? Because I thought it was entirely possible that that could have just, for him, for his own satisfaction, to go back to where he had lived, and, you know, he's known about his history for the past six years, yet he's never been to where it all went down. So I think it's... Well, he has, but not... Not not in his immediate memory, however. He doesn't remember being there apart from the blinding flash of green light. So I can see why he would want to go back. I agree. I think for personal reasons it makes sense. But how is he going to get there? How is he even going to find it? The, the distinct impression I got at the end of book six was that he already knew where it was and what it was. And none of us do. Well, Wouldn't Remus know where it was? Not necessarily. He he knew that his parents grew up there, and I'm I'm sure plenty of people knew where it was because it's a famous site. It's where the one person who ever survived the killing curse. That's where it happened. But all I'm saying is, who did he ask to find out where Godricella was, and how did he find out, and where is it? We'll find you know? out. We'll and, find that out in book seven. You know. He knows. He's just like, I'm going to go find Godric's Hollow now. And I'm like, well, how do you know anything about Godric's Hollow? You know, we, we, we don't even know why it's called Godric's Hollow, if it has something to do with Gryffindor or not. Okay, it's kind of like... Um, oh, jeez, I'm so dumb. What's the name of the village of the Weasleys? Um, Chipping Sodbury? Like St. Ottery and... What's Ottery, the village Ottery, the Weasleys? St. Catchpole. Something like that? St. Catchpole. Yes. Yeah, St. Ottery Catchpole. Ottery, St. Catchpole. Yeah, Ottery, St. Catchpole. It's kind of like that for the Weasleys. You know, it's not. Yeah. Oh my! Oh my gosh! Where where they come up with Ottery St. Catchpole? It's just the name for a village. Wait, so you're just saying that you don't think it has anything to do with Godric uh, Gryffindor? Well, there's probably some relation there, but I'm just saying that it's just the name of a village. Well, would it be entirely improbable that there would be villages in Britain named after the four founders of Hogwarts? No, but uh, for all we know, it could be another Godric. Just like when people saw. Yeah, Mark exactly. Evans, uh, Evans automatically triggered that 
oh, geez, Lily Evans, this has to be some relation here, and then Joe shot that down. So with in, in terms of Godric's Hollow, it may just be another coincidence. But in this case, I have I'm get the inkling that it's probably some somehow related to Godric Gryffindor, but I'm not sure. There's still an open theory regarding James Potter that he might be, or even that Harry might be the heir of Gryffindor. Um, Joe shoot that down. She? Yeah, I thought she did. Did she? Okay. What scares me is the fact that Harry might all of a sudden know things that he didn't learn in front of us. And that would really upset me because I think it would take away from his whole quest. If Joe zooms in on his quest, like when he's midway through it, and, you know, it says out of nowhere, you know, all this stuff that he learned and how he's going to do this. I don't see that happening, I so... Think just take away from things. I think he needs to learn everything in front of us so that we can appreciate all of his knowledge and, and watch. I think it's the exemplar quest. It's like we're supposed to see how this is being done. And I think that I think that's that's already happening. I don't think we have to worry about Harry gaining some inside information that we don't see because the book is written from his point of view. Go ahead, Micah. Yeah, so it only makes sense. But the only mention of Godric's Gryffindor I remember is in book three when you know when Flitwick tells the story. And I don't even understand how Harry would be in the uh, situation to remember that name, let alone understand or you know that his parents are still there or buried there and that he's going to go seek it and know where it is. Hold on, just real quick. In I'm going to play devil's advocate and say Godric's Hollow is a muggle village, right? Well, muggles are there. Right. Or at least near. Why would they name it after Godric Gryffindor if if it, if it's a Muggle village and wizards aren't really known to be around there? Well, wizards can have influence. It's not like you can't name something like Spell Lane or you know or you know Witchcraft Avenue. I'm sure there's some of those in 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 the U.S. Is you know just Muggle, yeah. just Muggle inspiration. Like I mean, I I'm just trying to think if they had to. I would imagine Godric Gryffindor among. You know, above any of the other founders as being a muggle man, kind of like Dumbledore, yeah. you know, involving himself in the muggles. Maybe he's famous in muggle history. You know, we just don't know. Well, the one thing I was just going to say real quick was that you might just be assuming that just by him saying he wants to go back there doesn't necessarily mean he knows exactly where it is. You know, I understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. But he never said, I'm going to find out where it is first. He's not like, okay, well, I have to find somebody who knows where it is. And, well, first of all, Sirius is dead. He's going to have to ask Haggard, I guess, if he finds Remus. Remus. Yeah. I don't know. Next question here. Will Harry or any of the trio ever return to school? We've talked about this numerous times, but maybe now... And we- will the school even be open, though? Let's right. consider that. We can lay it to rest now. They, they, didn't, they didn't close Hogwarts for the Chamber of Secrets t- both times. They didn't close Hogwarts when Dumbledore was away in three of the books. Well, see, school was school was going on then, though. Yeah. Yes, and this this has brought it to a whole new level. Yeah. and But I personally think that Hogwarts will be open, and I see, for some reason, I see Harry having to go alone on this one. I don't know. Going alone uh, on what? Well, on his little, on his little journey. Oh. I mean, I'm not entirely alone, because if he tries to go solo, he's, he's going to lose. But I just see... Ron and Hermione being at school at least part of the time. That's just how mm-hmm. I foresee it. Yeah, well, Hogwarts has always been the number one safe haven for people, especially people afraid of Voldemort. It's always seemed that, you know, Hogwarts has been there. It stayed open during Voldemort's reign the first time, presumably. I mean, there were all those seventh years who wouldn't have been seventh years if they, you know, if the school just opened. Well, I guess they would have been, but it, it's. I just think Hog- I get the impression that Hogwarts was always open, uh, even when Voldemort reigned, even when Grindelwald was doing whatever he did. And it makes no sense to me that they would close it. Just be- I mean, yes, they've lost a headmaster, and yes, they've lost the bed he- best headmaster they probably ever had or ever yeah. will have, but Hogwarts has always been this beacon, you know, not necessarily even of hope, but just it's been this school that's always remained open no matter what. And it's had numerous inner insurgencies where like you know all this inner crap happens to it and the structure's like ready to blow up but Hogwarts has always stayed in there. Something that I think is important to bring up is Dumbledore is the only man that Voldemort ever feared and now that he's been killed it sort of makes sense that the rest of the wizarding community may be pretty upset about it and so the only reason I think that Hogwarts will stay open is it's because it's kind of like America 
and how we all don't stay locked inside of our houses just because there was a terrorist attack on September 11th. And that because we we know the threats there, the people in the Muggle world, not the Muggle world, but the Wizarding world, know that the threat of Voldemort's there. But it's not going to hamper their everyday lives, and I don't see it hampering the everyday lives of students who are attending Hogwarts because that would completely defeat the purpose. That's letting Voldemort win in its own sense. So I don't think Joe will let that happen. Yeah, but in the past, a lot of parents have voiced their concerns over keeping the school open. Right, but that's when that's when they uh, children were showing up petrified left and right. Yeah, but this is this is worse, isn't it? It could happen. They know. They know. I, I guess because because Death Eaters got into Hogwarts, but I see security being a lot tighter than it has been in the past. Back when, back when in Chamber of Secrets, not not Chamber of Secrets, but Prisoner of Azkaban, when they started having Dementors on the lawn. On the out in the yard, guarding the castle doors, I see something perhaps ministry protection, or like full time around the castle, just so students get their education. Because imagine what that would do to magical education in general. Imagine if America suspended suspended all schools for an entire year, then everyone would be behind, or basically it's indefinitely until Voldemort stopped or whatever. I imagine that some parents will keep their keep their kids at home. But I think that Hogwarts will be open for those who still want to learn. I agree, and I think that's a nice parallel that Ben was making. Um, also, if I just think it's kind of sucks if um, if Hogwarts was safer when Dumbledore was alive than it is now, um, which I would be willing to bet that's true no matter what. Even though Dumbledore and traces of Dumbledore might still be at Hogwarts, uh, parents spent most of the time they had. Um, you know, where their kids were safe at school, they spent it disliking Dumbledore and, you know, discrediting him thanks to the, the ministry. You know, they spent their, their, their kids were going to his school more protected than they could be anywhere else in the world, and yet they were called upon to, you know, hate him and send in nasty owls about how he runs things and how he, you know, behaves. I just think it sucks that they had so little time to actually appreciate his headmastership. Continue with the terrorism analogy. After the United States was hit on September 11th, it basically made people ask the question afterwards. We started beefing up security and things like that. Are we a truly any safer than we are before? And I feel that the wizarding world is going to have to ask themselves the same question, specifically with Hogwarts in terms of Dumbledore dying. Because after Dumbledore is dead, now they realize, oh crap, there's all these holes in the castle and all these loopholes that that the Death Eaters can use to infiltrate it. So they're going to have to plug those and then find out exactly how safe they are. And I, I think Hogwarts is probably safer now than it was in the past because they're, they're starting to figure out, you know, maybe we should scan the castle more and find out where all the, the cracks for people to get in are, pretty much. Yeah, and I think his death could be a rallying point and possibly finally bring all the houses together. I'd like the idea of Hogwarts being together as one, especially in honor of, or in, in the aftermath of Dumbledore's death, but I don't know that the Slytherins gave a crap, or that any of their families would respect Dumbledore as much as the other houses' families would. Whoa. Well, hold on. Eric, you're you're starting to sound stereotypical. Continuing with my wonderful terrorism analogy again. After September 11th, what happened is the United States, all of a sudden, we had this stigma towards anyone that was part, that, that was Muslim, that appeared to be Muslim. And so it raises the question, and at Hogwarts, is anyone that's a Slytherin automatically going to be considered a Death Eater? Like they sort of are now, you know. Yeah. Hagrid said, any witch or wizard that hasn't been gone bad has always been in Slytherin. Which really doesn't make grammatical sense, but we all know that he's <laughs> what he's trying to say. It's <laughs> <laughs> oppression. And so, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think it's fair for us to have this the stereotype about Slytherins. You say, well, I don't think the Slytherin house really gave a crap. I'm sure there are some good Slytherins. Right. For example, Slughorn was head of Slytherin house, and personally, I like the guy. So right. I don't that, think that... That's my biggest reason for seeing unity in Book 7, is that he is the head of house in Slytherin now. All right, so let's move on to a little Aberforth discussion now. We want to talk about what role he's going to play in the books, because Joe said there's one order... Order of the Phoenix character that we have met briefly but learn a whole lot more about in Book 7. Is it him, Micah? 
That's a great question. Is Aberforth a member? Does it say that in the book? Yeah, he is. Okay, duh. But the, I don't know. I think he's too busy off goats to <laughs> save, save the world. Uh, we're, we're definitely keeping that in, just bleeping it out. <laughs> it was only mentioned once, and, and then the hog's head is kind of a reference to the goat. But anyway, or the, or the pig, or animal, or f- farm animals in um, general. Do you guys feel that... I don't know if he'll play that that great of a role, but it may be him that we learn a lot more about. But just because we learn a lot more about them doesn't necessarily that they play mean that they play a major role. I think what we should do is go back to Order of the Phoenix and look through all the people Harry sees in the picture, or actually examine who he's met that's a member of the Order. Aberforth seems like someone who would approach Harry, you know, now that his death, or Dumbledore's death has occurred... Aberforth would approach Harry, being Dumbledore's brother, and talk to him maybe a little bit about Dumbledore, and then open up about himself. Would anyone agree? Right, but was but was but was Aberforth let in on Dumbledore's plan though? Well, it it regardless. Probably not. I don't think it matters either way. Well, he may have known his brother, but unless well, yeah, but unless he's actually how... known what's going on and. The things he's experienced, then it's sort of irrelevant. Well, actually, I'm pretty sure Dumbledore got him out of trouble with the goat. And if he didn't get him out of trouble with the goat, uh, you know, put it this way. Aberforth lives in Hogsmeade, right next to Hogwarts. And I think it would be very unlikely for Dumbledore not to keep contact with his brother. And even if he didn't, you know, as Andrew said, regardless whether or not Aberforth knows of of any plans or not, he's still his brother. He still grew up with him a little bit. And so there's all this potential where J.K.R. didn't mention in the books, but she said so on her site, and we know that was him, and all sorts of stuff that it's just like he's waiting to come out. Well, Dumbledore and Harry, don't they return from the cave right in front of the hogshead? They do too, yeah. Be interesting to see all the stuff that happens. Good observation, Micah. I agree. <laughs> Anyone else agree? <laughs> It'll be interesting to read this book. Eric, I'm sure you disagree. I agree. Books no, to go back I and see what happened. I'll go, I'll go back. See all the events that took place. See if it's you know, yeah. there's any connections there. The final thing, the, the final part of our segment here. Who is the best resource for Harry to go to when beginning his search for Warcruxes? Moody, Lupin, Slughorn? But Dumbledore only told him to confide, confide in Hermione and Ron. Oh, by the way, J.K. Rowling confirmed today that it is indeed Horcruxes, not Horcree. Sorry, John. Thank God. (laughs) Get him off his high horse. So Dumbledore told him to only confide in Hermione and Ron. Of course Harry's not going to listen. No, he did, though. It wouldn't be any fun if he did. He did did listen, though, and that's what I want to say is because he listened more than he should have. Okay, I think Harry listened more than he should have to Dumbledore because out of nowhere, I you know, I was under the impression when I was reading book six that he was going to tell McGonagall, and I, I, I was just seeing the story unfold in my head where he was going to tell McGonagall, and she was going to get some of her old friends to help him out and all sorts of stuff. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, oh, I can't tell you because Dumbledore, you know, didn't want me to tell you that, or I'm just not going to tell you about Horcruxes at all or what happened. I'm not going to tell that you. That was probably story. a wise out decision, nowhere. though. Yeah, yeah it, I agree. It, it, it might have been, but it was more wise than Harry was. It, it was, like, almost super wise. Like, all of a sudden it hit him that he wasn't supposed to be trusting anybody, and so he told McGonagall, you know, nothing. It, it just seemed like... Pull your head out, dude. Look at just what happened. It Look seemed what, really what out of place, though, that all of a sudden he was like, no, I'm not going to tell you. The Death Eaters infiltrated Hogwarts. Who actually think that would ever happen? And then when Dumbledore tells him something, he's learned to trust him. And so he's not going to go blabbing around because he doesn't know who's on his side anymore because they just got betrayed by Snape. So how is he supposed to know who to trust? Do you think that he's going to uh, you know, break uh, Dumbledore's promise and go tell Moody now and go tell Remus when he wouldn't tell McGonagall? I doubt it. I think that he's going to confide in Ron and Hermione like Dumbledore told him to. You really think that, so? That's, that, that's all he's going to need. No way. I, I mean, well, in terms of the Horcruxes, he's not, going, he's not going to tell Moody or Lupin about him. Slughorn would be okay because Slughorn already knows about him. Well, let's but, take Ron out of the picture. How much is Ron going to be able to add? Hermione could do some hardcore research that could offer some clues, but... I don't know about Ron. I don't know. I think Ron gets underestimated a lot. Yeah, but whatever. when has he ever proven himself? Maybe this will be a book where he does. Yes. I hope so. 
that does wrap up our book seven discussion for this week. That actually went pretty well. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun Send stuff. in your book seven things that you want to know or need to know to MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com. Things for us to discuss that you think will be interesting. Right. So this week we are going to do something we haven't done in a while, Spy on Sparts. We're going to give Spartsy Boy a little ringing ding ding. See what's, see what's going on. Oh. <laughs> Failure. Darn. All right, Ben, we get it. Or leave a message. That's uh, too bad. Well, I, I should have left a message. All right. Well, that's a shame. Here we go. Here, here. For every week that Emerson doesn't answer his phone, we're going to reveal a digit of his cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. This week we'll start off with two. The starting Ooh. number is two. Uh oh. Okay. So Emerson, you better answer your phone, or you're in trouble. <laughs> Next week, the second digit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, moving on now to chapter by chapter. Chapter 13 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, titled Mirror of Eris... Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. I edited MuggleCast for too long last week. T- titled, uh, actually, we're going for uh, Nicholas Flamel this week. There must be a misprint in my book or something. The chapter opens up and it mentions that uh, ever s- Harry isn't quite able to get over his whole experience in the previous chapter with the Mirror of Erised. In fact, something very, very distinguishably upsetting is accredited to his experience with the mirror. He now has dreams, nightmares of high cackling laughter and and green light. And so basically, ever since he saw the mirror, he's having these nightmares of his parents' death, the night of his parents' death. And it's heavily implied that they were triggered by his experience with the mirror. The one thing that strikes me as odd here is, is Voldemort doesn't seem like the type of guy to me that would be cackling. Oh, he does to me. Why not? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I thought... Well, because he has cackle. that high-pitched laughter that probably can be described as a cackle. And Peeves cackles. Last time I checked, yeah, he's yeah. a dude. <laughs> Yep. Oh, another thing is, I think I think the reason that the mirror of Erised triggered Harry's uh, the nightmares that he's beginning to have is because when it's a really emotional experience like he had when he saw his family again or whatever, it could probably psychologically trigger those things in his mind and cause him to have those nightmares. I mean, I'm no psychologist or anything, but that's yeah, just my take. Yeah, it makes logical sense too that that was the last time he saw his parents. That was the night that he no longer right. had a family. So it's interesting that the mirror triggered those memories, and basically this starts off a long-running uh, series of dreams. So do you yeah, guys think that... pains and a scar, although that doesn't relate. Do you guys think that Sorry. going to Godric's Hollow would have the same effect on Harry? Ooh. Prob- That's an interesting could tie it, back to an earlier could it, question, but yeah. He saw his parent. Could it bring back new memories? Maybe. Well, if he remembers perhaps his house, if his house right. is even standing. I guess they said it was destroyed, so I don't know. Even then, it could be something as simple as a tree that for some reason could have stuck in his brain because oh, he could remember picnicking. Flash of lightning hit it. <laughs> he could remember picnicking in his little bonnet and then Lillian James on a blanket. I actually want him to, to remember things like that. I think new memories are important. I think that might be one of the uh, more reasonable ways in which he learns more about himself and his past, as if he remembers all these things from when he was not even a year old. Um, you know, if things start coming back to him. Because, I mean, we've seen the same, pretty much the same nightmare, you know, green light and high laughter in almost every subsequent book since the first one. I mean, the Dementors bring it back in three, and he is always seeming to be talking about it. So it would be a little... I guess it would be good if he got some new memories to think about. What else is interesting here is that uh, these dreams start to disappear, uh, and Harry says that this is caused by uh, being tired after Quidditch practices. Is it really the Quidditch practices and being tired that causes these dreams to not occur? I thought it would be the opposite. I think so, because if you have a deeper sleep, then you're then more prone to dreams. You probably won't. No, I don't think you're more prone. I think if you're really tired where it's not really that you... you When it comes to the point where you unintentionally fall asleep, then I don't really dream much. Oh, okay. Or do you not just remember... Do you do you dream every night? You, you do. You always, you always yeah. Dream. Yeah, you always have a dream every night, but you just don't remember it. I dream about you at night, Ben. Oh, I know, dude. I'm dreaming about you too. You too, <laughs> and you. <laughs> <laughs> Together, 
We're together? Is it destiny? Oh my god. Those are some dreams that I just don't know about. (laughs) Yeah, those are my nightmares. Oh, I do. (laughs) So... So I'm thinking, what is, maybe is it that Harry just, he has his mind off of it? It's not so much that he's tired, he's, he's just thinking about other things. Uh, yeah, exactly, he's thinking about Snape. No, no, <laughs> I was... His mind is, What? <laughs> well, not like that, come on. No, 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 I don't, no, not Snape, I'm talking about Quidditch practice. Wouldn't he be thinking about that? Well, yeah, Snape refereeing the match, all that kind of thing. Okay, oh. He's, he's not as focused on the mirror... Mm. As he was before. Yeah. So as the chapter goes along... He- I'm fairly certain that nightmares are probably triggered by stress. Mm-hmm. And so when he's put into a stressful situation, or pro- or like I said, a strong sense of emotion over something. So let's move along, Eric. Page 216, they're talking about uh, you know Slytherin and the how, how it would be nice to win this Quidditch match against Hufflepuff because then they could overtake Slytherin for the House Cup. Now, as Ben brilliantly pointed out, out of the blue, um, it didn't seem to me that uh, the House Cup was even mentioned um, later later on in the books. What it says is, you know, Slytherin had won. Slytherin would be defeated for the House Cup for the first time in seven years, and we know at the end of book one they were. But it seemed to me that it made sense in my own little mind that while reading Harry Potter, we'd be reading years at Hogwarts where Gryffindor prevailed, and that every year Harry would bring about some kind of victory that would allow Gryffindor to win, you know, the the House Cup for seven years. But instead of getting this, you know, reassured, you know, whole, oh, Harry's going to change the world type thing, I think the House Cup just stopped being mentioned, or the Quidditch Cup in in some of the books. I mean, the Quidditch, we didn't even have Quidditch in, in, you know, in book four, and I guess some parts of book five, and Harry wasn't even on it. So, they, the House Cup and the Quidditch Cup have kind of been become really unimportant, like what house wins at the end of the year to me. like I, it, it seemed to me like we'd be seeing, since J- Joe mentioned that Slytherin had been winning for seven years straight, it seemed only appropriate that you know she'd make an equally big deal about something else. I think that's based off of two things. One, that the story, Joe, Joe is putting more focus onto the darker side of things, and there's not as much fluff that was needed back in Sorcerer's Stone. But at the same time, uh, I'm sure the students might not see it as... Well, they might. Uh, hmm. I think I think they would see it, because, you know, just like any teenagers, all teenagers are, are into sports. Um, well, then again, maybe wizards aren't. No. <laughs> well, no, but I think well, enough are that it still comes over There would still be... there. Yeah, there would still be the same amount of hype every year. Maybe not all teenagers, but the same amount of hype that was in book one would still be in book six because um, the same. There, there's always a large amount of kids in it or into it. Points still matter. It's st- it's still a fun game, and you don't need to actually play anything to be on this game. You just need to be a decent student, and you know, you occasionally succeed in front of a teacher that'll give you points. I don't necessarily recall, you know, Gryffindor not winning the House Cup, but I don't remember it being mentioned uh besides i think book five they won it laura did they do you remember that um i know they won the quidditch cup in book five but i'm not necessarily sure about the house cup um i think that's interesting i think eric like what you said at the beginning that um we see these books through harry's eyes i think that's very important to remember because in this case harry has more important things to be focusing on than the quidditch cup and the house cup so for all we know it does have the same amount of hype, and the other students do care just as much, but Harry's more focused on finding the Horcruxes. Which makes perfect sense, but I don't know. He didn't have Horcruxes to deal with, um, you know, in any other book besides Six, in in, in the same way. I yeah, mean, but he had Dementors and werewolf teachers. Well, usually, but usually at the end of the, uh, with the, now, movie, or sorry, book five, did was the was the first different book in the way that the ending wasn't happy. Well, four wasn't entirely either, but at the end of every book, it seemed that they had this whole you know expository paragraph where J.K.R. wrote you know things slowed down. They did well on their announce, uh, were they well on their exams? And by the way, you know Gryffindor won the House Cup, and by the way, this happened, and that sort of thing. Like another year at the Dursleys, and 
going to give Dudley a, a second hit. You know, all, all this other stuff, it's like this calm, peaceful thing at the end of each book where she kind of sums up the last days of school and that kind of thing that happens, and that just stopped. And it was kind of like the ending of book five. I don't know how that happened, but, you know, it's it's this whole destiny thing. And, you, and you're right, Laura, that he's more occupied with destiny and things, but there was always that kind of, you know exposition at the end where we knew some, you know, where some things were stated about what happened at the end of the year and during the banquet and stuff and during to characters. Alright, so let's move on to Nicholas Flamel now because he's the main subject of this chapter. Um, we first find out about him, well, Harry finds out about him by, from, of all places, a the back of a chocolate frog card. Dumbledore's, actually. Twelve Uses of Dragons, but... Yes. So, we find out that Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Sorcerer's Stone. Alright, so let's get into a little history about good old Nick. Laura, you've done your research. Yeah, um, Nicholas Flamel was a French alchemist of the 1400s, and as quoted by Wikipedia, Flamel is supposed to have been the most accomplished of the European alchemists. It is claimed that he succeeded at the two magical goals of alchemy, supposed to have been the chief arms of that discipline. He made the Philosopher's Stone that turns lead into gold, and he and his wife, Perenelle, allegedly gained immortality. Now... It's important to notice, too, that, Laura, that this is actually your reading from documented history, historical fact, British uh, British legend, as in this stuff actually happened and that Nicholas Flamel was at one point or another in real history a real person, which is interesting to note because J.K.R. used this true, you know, person, this true legend as, you know, just to, to sort of jumpstart her books, you know, with 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 this, you know, British legend, she actually used it, and it's based more on, I guess, history of our world, uh, you know, more so than the other books. Well, he's mentioned in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, he's so. mentioned in lots of books. <laughs> but no, this is the point. And a while ago, there was, you know, a few things that I read and a few articles which made a note of the fact that the first book is heavily detailed on actually. You know the actual history, and the, it, it incorporates the entire myth. And I just was wondering what you thought of that, because that was like a great way, I think, for J.K.R. to relate. You know, the Muggle world, the magical world, but also it's just the fact that it's an actual story. You know, Nicholas Flamel was an actual guy. They don't know if he actually achieved immortality, but it's legend. And so J.K.R. just totally adopted this and used this for her book. And you know that didn't happen later on. I mean, everything relates to the real world, but. I don't know, guys. Other people were making a big deal about it, the fact that it was this huge real-life occurrence. I, I thought I'd... Well, just a little bit about how Laura brought up, brought up some information about Nicholas Flamel. I remember when I first got into Harry Potter, when I was analyzing the first book, basically on my own, when I was just going through things, looking it over, and I did a Google, Google search on Nicholas Flamel, and I started looking, looking up a ton of information on him. And he's really an interesting guy. There are actually some people out there who believe that he's still alive. Yeah, there are really. people who claim that they've kind seen of, him. <laughs> kind yeah. of weird. And that that he that he's living that he's living in a village. In he a, listens India. to Mucklecast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nick listens to us. I mean, he's just an interesting guy. I think that it just made sense for Joe to use use him because she's talking about the substance that you know the philosopher's stone. And Nicholas Flamel was indeed an alchemist. And yeah, I agree with that. I don't I don't I don't think it holds any further significance other than it just fit perfectly for what she needed. Yeah, definitely. And don't you guys think if Nicholas Flamel was really alive that he would have sued Joe by now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for using uh, him. If my forward, name was in a huge he, he book, I wouldn't complain. Well, maybe I would if I needed some cash. When you're 700 years old, dude, <laughs> there isn't much for you to do. When you can make everything into gold, you know, you don't really need cash. All right, so let's move on to the Quidditch match, which takes a couple of interesting turns. Uh, right before it, though... Uh, Harry makes a connection that it appears that Snape is following him around. But this can be attributed to, more or less, Snape possibly... <sighs> God, I just lost my train of thought. Snape looking out for Harry as opposed to uh, right, right. stalking him. There's actually two great lines in on page 221 here. And you guys talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. 
um, but it does relate. It says, could Snape possibly know they'd found out about the Sorcerer's Stone? Harry didn't see how he could, yet he sometimes had the horrible feeling that Snape could read minds. Yeah, it's an... Or occlumency. It's it's another one of those things where it's like... It's heavily implied, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I think Snape would be able to tell that they knew about the Sorcerer's Stone, but it makes it... I, it, it seems to me that Snape wouldn't give Harry the same kind of levity that Dumbledore was, and Dumbledore and Snape presumably both, if 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 this is occlumency, know that Harry knows about the Sorcerer's Stone. I think Snape would have... I don't know. I was going to say I would think Snape would come out and tell Harry not to go for it, like McGonagall did, but then again... They they suspect Snape of being a part of it. I don't know. I just think if Snape knew that Harry knew about the Sorcerer's Stone, he would have taken other measures and things would have gone a little bit differently. Oh, I'm just saying it's something that sticks out in your mind when you're going back oh, and reading really the books. Now, moving on to the Quidditch match here. Uh, shoot, I should have the page. Page 222. Um, Fred... Fred Weasley says, the whole school's out, out there, said Fred, <laughs> said Fred Weasley, peering out the door. Even blimey Dumbledore's come to watch. Harry did a somersault. Dumbledore, he said, dashing to the door to make sure. Fred was right. There is no mistaking that silver beard. Why is everyone so surprised that Dumbledore has arrived? Okay, maybe... Quidditch matches. All right, well, I, I, I get that, but why doesn't he? And what makes this one so special? So, the, okay, Dumbledore's at this Quidditch match. And Harry is relieved because he thinks, well, Snape can't touch me. Now, what it, so they go out to the game, they're very enthusiastic, and it's kind of, it's, it, the, the game just flows, and within moments, Harry has caught the stitch. Now, this is a little bit different, because it especially says in this book that, uh, you know, the snitch, uh, nobody had ever remembered the snitch being caught that fast in any Quidditch game. And then it occurred to me, guys, what do you think? Dumbledore showed up at the Quidditch match. Is it possible, in any which way, shape, or form, I said which, that's <laughs> kind of funny, that Dumbledore would have influenced the outcome of this match and helped Harry find the snitch within record time? Yeah. No, I, no, I no think way. some people might have been led to believe that, or Joe intended for people to be led to believe that, but... I think that Dumbledore was there just to protect Snape, and I'm sure that's what, or protect Harry from something occurring again. Would you guys agree? Yeah, the answer, well, it just made, it it made an an eerie kind of thing pop in my mind, an eerie light bulb. It is weird. That says, you know, oh, well, it's strange that Harry should somehow go and be this superhuman Quidditch player and catch the snitch right away and, you know, beyond everybody's record, but later on... I agree with you guys because uh, Dumbledore comes right up to Harry, pats him on the back, and says, "Good job." And first of all, I doubt he'd do that if if he had fixed the game. Um, and also later on, when he's walking his broomstick back, right before he sees Snape uh, go into the forest, he's he said it says that he's proud of himself for actually, you know, proving to the whole school that he can do something for himself. And that would be a little that'd you be a little ironic sick. if. It, Insulting Dumbledore's memory. Well, no, it just seemed uh, Dumbledore was there, and then there's this darling feat <laughs> that happens, and I was like, "Well, what if he helped him?" But it didn't seem likely afterwards. So I, but I thought I'd mention it. The Ministry does not want me to tell you that, <laughs> but I feel not telling you is an insult to Cedric's memory. I had one thing. If I can find it here, real quick. Oh, it's on page two twenty six when Snape is talking to Quirrell, and he says, um. Something about once you decided where your loyalties lie. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, is this actual proof all the way back in the first book that Snape is truly on Dumbledore's side? I think it was interesting because Quirrell says that Snape suspected him of being greedy, you know, as in in it for himself. So... By Snape saying where your loyalties lie, he's comparing either Dumbledore or yourself. Like, Quirrell decide, are you in this for Dumbledore or are you in this for yourself? And that kind of thing. I don't think it implies that he believes Voldemort is the other side. But at the same time, Voldemort's on the back of his head and all sorts of other stuff. So Voldemort probably heard this whole conversation. And it's a big headache. But, I I mean, in, in response to your question, I think it probably does uh, relate that at least... Snape is putting on a show as if he were Dumbledore's 
uh, you know, loyalist servant or loyalist person, loyalist friend, by him going in and seeking out Snape, or sorry, sneaking out Quirrell and saying, you know, meet me in the Forbidden Forest, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak you out and, you know, get you to confess your loyalties or whatever. I, I think it, it seems very plausible that Snape is indeed a good guy, by him doing this, and even by telling, you know, asking Filch, in the previous chapter, to, you know, look out for, you know, people out of bed and people doing things. I think Snape's just genuinely concerned about the security of the stone. So, any other anything else here? Not that I can. All right, of. that just about does it for this week's chapter by chapter. Next week we will be discussing Chapter Fourteen, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, titled Nor- Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback. We are only we are in the home stretch now. We got on chapter. Chapter 14, 15, 16, we got four more chapters to go, and we are done. With our first book, one-seventh of the final complete picture. And really, just a moment ago, we were saying how, oh, we've spanned nine episodes out of, you know, 13 chapters. I think that's a brilliant thing. I think that's really good. So this week, we are going to try something new that Ben's been formulating in the back of his mind for a while. It's called, give me a butterbeer. Y'all ready for this? Well, give me a butterbeer? Yes. This, this, yes, it is actually. This, this segment is is inspired by Mr. John Stossel, a co-anchor on ABC News's 2020, and I really liked watching it because he'd bring up an issue that's just in society each week, and he would talk about it and explain how it's completely bogus, and then at the end he'd say, "Give me a break." And so this is a spinoff off of that, relating directly <laughs> to Harry Potter and things that people are concerned about. So let's go with week one. This time I'm this this week we're going to talk about internet movie piracy. In a move to curb internet piracy pri- piracy let this past week, Warner Brothers signed a deal with popular P2P client BitTorrent, allowing consumers to download hundreds of Warner Brothers productions legally. TV shows will start off at a dollar, and movies will be around the same price of a DVD rental. The president of Warner Brothers stated, "We've been struggling with peer-to-peer technology and trying to figure out a way to harness the good and all the." all that the technology allows us to do. If we can convert 5, 10, or 15% of legal downloaders into products into consumers of our product, that is significant. WB believes that believes BitTorrent will be able to curb privacy by piracy by disa- by disabling the user from copying downloaded files by two clever mechanisms, a, pa- a password being entered to view the file and the file can only be opened on the computer on which it was downloaded. This is from directly from MuggleNet's news. I, personally, I yeah. Personally, I feel that Warner Brothers is fighting a losing, losing battle here. Here's a few statistics from the Motion Picture Association of America. Between 115,000 and 150,000 movies are transferred across P2P networks in the United States each and every day. Each P2P cl- client sharing content has an average of 10 infringing comp- copyright movies. Each movie costs an average of $143 million to make and market, and around 60% of movies do not recover from the investment. Well, we all know that the chances of Emerson marrying Melissa are actually greater than getting caught pirating movies. However, although Harry Potter will still profit in the billions of dollars, I think it's time for each Harry Potter fan to stop being cheap and go out and just buy the movie. I'm not really condemning people who pirate movies, but at least go out and buy the film in addition to downloading it. That's what I know that many people have done. It will ease your conscience, and it can save you a $150,000 fine. So, give me a butter beer. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Ben. This is a segment I plan to do weekly, because I really enjoyed writing this. And it'll get more fluent as we go on. I just had some trouble there reading, got tongue-tied a bit. But anyways, send in your emails to bennettstaff.mugglenet.com, things you would like me to talk about, and furthermore, what you think about the segment and whether it should stay or, or whether it should go. I think go. it's probably one of our best you, segments. I think you did fine, Ben. Well, Eric, Eric's in love with it already. <laughs> I, I'm in love. I think that's brilliant. You know, not only do I like the this title, I like the topic this week because – Torrents have become such a facet to everyone who's using computers these days. I mean, even my sister now is using them. I won't say what for. We don't want to go there. (laughs) But I think that BitTorrent is definitely the next way to go, especially with 
legal content. <laughs> There's so much illegal content on BitTorrent right now. And honestly, I don't think Warner Brothers is going to be able to pull this off because all these internet mediums always have a way of getting hacked. Exactly. And it's sort I of, think this is just going to be another one. It's sort of like the battle that iTunes is fighting right now with their... When you buy an MP3, they you buy a, an audio file from iTunes, then a lot of people are using ways to strip off the digital rights management. And then, There are ways, but... It's not occurring as much as it does on, like, BitTorrent. Right. Or, or, well, I mean, we haven't seen this before. We haven't seen movies, especially like Harry Potter, being put on BitTorrent, sold on BitTorrent. So it's interesting. I don't know if it's going to work well, out. Yeah, we'll see how it works out because here, here's what the, the dilemma that people are faced with. You you buy it for a buck off BitTorrent or you go down with a dollar share or oh, it's probably going to be more than that you buy it for $5 off BitTorrent or that or you go to BearShare or LimeWire one of the other P2P clients and get it for free and i just don't and have the ability to send it to other people so i i just don't see how they're going to convert people and another thing is i think that it could it could actually hurt them because people will be able to get better quality versions if, if they find a way to strip the digital rights management off of the video. Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah. People, people have better quality versions of a movie that they can distribute to others. Let me, just, let me just say one last thing. The people who are downloading it over BitTorrent are the people who do not go out to see movies for one reason or, or another. Um, and they like the movies. These are people who like Harry Potter, but they're too embarrassed to go out to see it. And I honestly think that's what it is because not many people fans do not know how to use BitTorrent very very few and if they do I'm sure they download it but those who are downloading it for the reasons that uh, the movie industry does not want them to those are the people who are just are too honestly I really think too embarrassed to see it so Ben give me a butter beer <laughs> all right <laughs> I'll one ready for you next week but now it is time to move on to the voicemail questions. Hey, MuggleCast. My name is Leonella, and I'm from the Bronx in New York. Um, I was listening to your chapter-by-chapter discussion about um, why James Potter would leave Dumbledore his invisibility cloak before he died. Well, I was thinking, like, do the Potters know of the prophecy? I mean, they went into hiding to avoid Voldemort, but, you know, they had already twice or three times, actually, um, you know, defeated or gotten away from the Dark Lord. So I was wondering if Harry and Harry's parents knew of the prophecy and that's why they went into hiding, or were they just going into hiding because they were afraid, just like everybody else in the magical world, in the magical world, about what Lord Voldemort was doing. Um, thanks. Love yourself. I think they were just afraid. Yeah, me too. Um, but I don't know... As for whether or not Dumbledore told them about the prophecy, that's a question I would ask because we have to assume that if Dumbledore would tell Lillian and James about the prophecy that he would tell Frank and Alice Longbottom, and it's and J.K.R. said that uh, that Neville doesn't know about the prophecy, um, it will be an interesting shock to him when he does find out, when Harry does tell him, because I assume it will be Harry who tells him, but... It's not one of those things you'd find in the notes that that Alice Longbottom gives to Neville every time they, vi- you know, she visits, you know, on the gum wrappers in St. Mungus. It's just not one of those things. So, I don't know if it would be. I don't. I don't know if he would have told him. What do you? Do you I thought Dumbledore clearly said in Order of the Phoenix that he was the only one who knew the prophecy. Well, well, Snape knew it. Well, he knew part of it. Yeah. But Dumbledore was the only one who knew the full prophecy. Did you guys? Do you think the? Uh, do you think that whole Snape being the person who listened to it? Do you think that was an afterthought for J.K.R. Kind of seemed to come in there at the end. I don't think so. Snape. Yeah. No, I think that she'd always planned for it to be Snape. Um, as for the Potters knowing about the prophecy, I think I agree with Micah on this. But I'm kind of wondering why they thought they were special, like in the sense that they would need the Fidelius charm, and to go into hiding and stuff. Well, they defied him three times. Nobody does that except... Well, so had Frank Frank and Alice. I mean, besides the Longbottoms, like, they're clearly... Well, people mentioned that they were one of the foremost outrunners against Voldemort. They were one of the... I mean, 
they were in the order, but they were also one of those people that, you know, the Bones, the McKinnons, all the great wizards of the age, as mentioned by Hagrid and other countless other people. You know, the Potters were famous before before Harry. The Potters were famous before Harry. I strongly believe that. And it, they, they got a name from being particularly good at either fending off Voldemort or helping the good side for their contributions, just as Frank and Alice Longbottom. I don't necessarily think that they knew the prophecy. I think they might have been let in on certain pieces of information, enough for them to know, but nothing in full. Well, maybe they know what Snape knew. Right. Maybe if the Potters knew too much, that would cause even worse consequences. So, which could be the reason why they didn't tell them. Let's tune in to the next voicemail. Hey guys, this is Maggie from Ohio, and I have a question. I'm currently rereading The Sorcerer's Stone, and in Chapter 9, they use Orohamora to get into the Forbidden Third Floor Corridor, where, of course, they encounter Fluffy. And I'm just, I was just wondering, isn't that kind of an easy way to get into a corridor that's supposedly forbidden? I mean, Hermione's a first year, and she knows Orohamora. Now, I know that Hermione's, like, super smart, but, I mean... I still think it's a little kind of easy to get into some place that's so dangerous. I wanted to mention this in the chapter by chapter. Um, there's a point where they mention after seeing Neville being put in the leg locker curse that before the Quidditch match, they are um, preparing to use that curse on Snape. And I put in my notes, and I think it's rather significant, even though it didn't make it to the general discussion list, that um, that they actually, this is the first mention throughout the books, that students are t- attacking teachers, and not only attacking teachers, but doing it with what would appear to be silly spells like the leg locker curse. <laughs> and you know? first years of all of all people. Well, the Jelly Nose, like the Jelly Nose curse, and they're firing all these somewhat, you know, childishly, you know, uh, conceived spells at these adults, and that was one of the examples. But as for this question, Alohomora, yes, it does seem silly that that this easy charm, you know, that, that the third floor corridor wouldn't be better protected than just by a, an Alohomora charm that Hermione can read about in year three or whatever, you know, standard book of spells. So why? Why was it so easy? Why, why wouldn't have Dumbledore... Is the, real, is the real challenge getting past Fluffy? I mean, how hard is it? If you don't know what to do, I'd imagine it's pretty hard. I guess, but if you could put the dog to sleep so easily... Yeah, but that requires you knowing that you have you still to gotta lift them have music. or move a paw, at least. Yeah, I guess, but couldn't a little bit of research have turned up something as simple as, this kind of instrument makes dogs sleep, makes creatures sleep, well, whatever. I don't know. It's like Snorlax, what, you have to play, knows? it's like, no, let me make a Pokemon reference here. It's like Snorflax, <laughs> oh Snorlax, yeah, you, you gotta use the Poke Flute to put the dude to sleep. Snorlax. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it the Poke Flute? Nine-year-olds, please email me. <laughs> it was. I don't know why I'm admitting this, but yes, it was. Mike played his Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> Think about what's behind the door, though. I mean, who cares if you get through it? You're not getting anywhere else. I mean, I know you're saying that you can play the whatever. Pokeflute? Fall asleep. Yeah, but how do you, you don't know that. People who magically wander there. Yeah. Think about what lies beyond there. Granted, I think it should be a little bit more protected, but <laughs> I think you have it's a the three-headed dog the behind the door. Yeah, it's the secret of the matter that was the most guarded. Like, beyond the door, like, the actual secret to put Fluffy asleep, you know, it's just a shame that Hagrid's uh, a robustious drunk, you know, but I think the secret was, was more guarded than the corridor for that same reason. Like, and if who you knows, didn't know maybe it, Dumbledore actually expected people to listen to him. And maybe he wanted, uh... Maybe he wanted Harry to find the dog and get his little chance. Uh, and get ripped to shreds because he didn't know to, put, to play shreds. it to sleep. Yeah, that's definitely it. <laughs> it I all comes back like to the poker flute. Hi, this is Andrew Evans from Miami, Florida. And I was wondering, in the third book, Harry's Bogart was a Dementor, but since he can repel them now without trouble, I don't think he would fear that anymore. So if he saw Bogart now, what do you think he would say? Thanks. I think... Harry wasn't afraid of Dementors, though, specifically. Like, when he saw the Boggart in Book 3, he was afraid of Dementors, but the only reason his Boggart was a Dementor was because he was afraid of fear. And Remus says, you know, you fear fear itself. So even though he is scared of Dementors, and even though he's conquered Dementors, he was never afraid of Dementors in the first place in the way that his Boggart would appear. So I think... I think he's still afraid of fear. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I think he would still see a, a Dementor because he's not afraid of Dementors. He's just afraid of what they represent. 
Well, that's possibly the best like way the best for a Bogart to represent fear. Yes. Well, boys and girls, I think that does just about do it for MuggleCast episode 39. <laughs> We're 40 next week. MuggleCast is going to start going gray. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if, like, over time our album art slowly started getting grayer and grayer? <laughs> All right, let's wrap up this week's show real quick with a chicken soup from the MuggleCast Soul. This one comes from Cecily, 17, of Washington, D.C. She writes, Hello, all. I wanted to thank you guys so much. A few months ago, I was struggling with my weight. I bought a new exercise machine, but working out and just staring into space was so boring that I didn't know how I could use it. Then I subscribed to MuggleCast. I am a huge Harry Potter fan, of course, and I found your show so interesting, and each of you are so entertaining. I decided to listen to episodes of your show every day while I worked out. Not only did it make time on the machine fly by, but it made me actually look forward to working out every afternoon. Here I am, three months later, and 15 pounds thinner. I couldn't have done it without you. Thanks, MuggleCast. That's a great one. Aww. You know, that's freaking cool. Yeah, so... Congrats, Cecily, on your weight loss. That does wrap up MuggleCast39. We'll see everyone next week for episode 40. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I am Ben Shane. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Mike Attenham. Goodbye, everyone. Good night. Bye. Hi MuggleCast, it's Mary Elizabeth, and I just turned 14 years old, and I live in Springdale, Arkansas, and just wanted to say, great show, and keep up the good work. Love you guys, and Laura, Kevin, Andrew, Ben, uh, Jamie, Eric, Micah, and Laura. Love you. Bye. Hi, this is Angela from Virginia. Um, just wanted to say that um, MuggleCast is great. We've, uh, my husband and I have been listening for... A couple of months. Uh, we're big Harry Potter fans, and you guys are great. Thanks. Bye bye. Hi, Motocast. I'm Kristen. I'm Casey. And I'm Kristen. And we're in our high school's production of the musical Les Miserables. And we have a long time to listen to songs that we sing it. So we listen to Motocast while we're waiting. It saves us from a long, slow death of boredom and math homework. So we just wanted to say, say thanks, and we love you guys. Oh, and one more thing. Do me a favor. Lose the town! Hi, this is Cecile from France. I just want to thank you for the fact all this has been listening to the show every weekend. Thanks for that. I indeed have enjoyed a lot. And it enables me to get a place at a British uni in Solon next year. So, all hail to Mother Cat, number one podcast for English teaching.